Andrina Sawyer, today's guest, is an author, consultant, and nonprofit founder who survived the Civil War in Sierra Leone. She leads Pert Consulting, serving nonprofits and businesses, and is the founder of a faith-based network for women of color entrepreneurs. She'll also share insights about her superpower. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Andrina, thank you so much for joining me today. It's just a thrill to meet you. Thank you so much, Devin. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Well, the pleasure's all mine, and I, I'm just glad that you'd come. I love the work that you're doing with nonprofits and, and entrepreneurs. Tell us a little bit about your work at Perk Consulting. Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, our focus is nonprofit development. I started it about 11 years ago because I really had a passion and an interest in helping nonprofits especially the little guys, become more sustainable. Um, a lot of times we see that those that are doing the grassroots work in our community don't have a long shelf life. They run into cash flow issues, capacity issues, strategic planning issues. And I wanted to see how I could help that. So I started PERC. Um, our primary focus when I started was strategic planning. And then we realized that there's so much more. Um, that these nonprofits needed. And so now we do strategic planning and capacity building and some program development as well. Yeah, that sounds like fantastic work. Now, what does PERC stand for? PERC is an acronym for you, a P-E-R-K. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so PERC stands for Passion, Experience, Relevance, and Knowledge. And those are our core values. Um, if you take a look at our logo, it's a tree growing out of a concrete road um, because we take our interest in helping nonprofits grow um, despite whatever their initial foundation was. We take that very, very seriously. And so those four things are the ways that we, we, we make sure that we do that. That's fantastic. Um, as you think about your work with nonprofits, uh, so many are uh, really, really strapped. Uh, there are a variety of reasons for that, and I won't ask you to explore all of them, but as you try to help nonprofits become more resilient, how do you coach them to do that? Yeah, we encourage them to focus on systems building. Um, at the root of nine out of 10 problems that we encounter with our clients, is just a lack of good infrastructure that lends to sustainability. So when we're talking about finances, which is usually the most front-facing and obvious problem, on the back end of that is, you know, our issues like diversification, right? So not just putting all your eggs in the grant bucket. Um, a lot of small organizations just think, if I can get a lot of good grants, if I can get a couple of good donors, you know, I'll be okay. But in between those streams of revenue, a lot of organizations need their bread and butter. Sometimes that looks like additional streams like special events, merchandise, things like that. Um, so my advice usually when we're starting um, is, a, is focus on building good systems. Because once you do that, you're able to kind of automate all the other elements of running a nonprofit. Yeah. It it's tough sometimes to to build systems. You know, there there are a variety of challenges. You know, as I mentioned at the top of this discussion about resilience, but the the uh, often they lack the money uh, 
uh, when you're resource constrained, yeah. uh, how do you go about creating systems uh, for enhancing your, you know, your nonprofit in general, especially your system for gathering and managing resources? Yeah, that's such a good, good question. And it is, it is kind of an ongoing need, even for the clients that we serve. And when we encounter that, my advice is always to prioritize capacity building. Um, you need you need good resources to build good systems, but you need capacity to have access to those resources. So I'll give you an example. We had a client who was kind of a one-man team, really small budget, and they were trying to figure out, well, what do we do? How do we even implement our programs? And one of the things I suggested was, Build capacity by getting on a platform like Volunteer Match, right? So there are tons of people that are out there who want to help the work that nonprofits are doing. And if you can build capacity in that way and you can get those kind of pro bono, in-kind donation um, as you're building your capacity, then you're able to build systems. So don't get in a panic and think systems first, but sometimes systems is a priority still, but it has to be kind of a lower priority until you've built the capacity with those types of opportunities um, to then begin to build systems. I had a, a client that had a board that was all volunteers that came through a channel like Volunteer Match. So once they got a financial volunteer, a social media and marketing volunteer, you know, et cetera, et cetera, then they were able to then focus on systems. But first they needed the capacity to have access to those resources. Now, that is a, a, a great story to help us kind of uh, understand better how to do that. Um, your passion for this goes back a long time. You, you created uh, kind of a, an informal nonprofit as a teenager. Tell us a little bit about that. I did. So I, I didn't even know what the term was. <laughs> I just knew I wanted to help people. Um, and it was called Triple T Mad, um, which stood for tr teens trying to make a difference. And what I did was I just rallied my friends. Um, it started off with some friends of mine from church because it was a summer initiative. I was bored. Um, and we would go out in the community once a month to help. So we did AIDS walk, March of Dimes, soup kitchen, um, a lot of volunteerism, and it landed. People liked it. Um, the adults were supporting us around us. And so we kept doing it for about two years into the school year. Uh, we had a chaperone who was my mentor at the time, but our focus was very targeted. What if we just did one thing a month as a group in this community? So that's what we did. Yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's such a great thing. Now, you, you run a little nonprofit now, too, don't you? That you started. Tell us a little bit about that. I do. So it's a, a, a faith-based initiative for women of color in business. Um, and it all it, it was birthed out of this idea that each one should be able to teach one. So when I started in entrepreneurship 11 years ago, it was a lonely process. There were so many things that I did not know. I was overwhelmed and discouraged by the disparities in business for women of color. Um, and a lot of the things that I, I found, I found on my own. And so when I started McQuinn, this nonprofit, um, I wanted to build a community for women who might feel like I felt. 
Um, and, you know, they take ownership of their groups. Uh, we have local chapters in a couple of cities and they own it. They create and shape the culture and they identify their own needs. And all we do is just facilitate the connections and facilitate the resources. Yeah, fantastic. How do you think your life, your career, your passion for service is influenced by your life experience? And let me drill down on that a little more narrowly. You were born in Sierra Leone. Uh, your country uh, was experiencing or a civil war when yeah. you were nine years old and you came to the United States. As you look on that framing, yeah. right, that kind of set you up. How does that influence your life? Yeah, I mean, it's it's literally, it's laid the foundation for everything I do, uh, personally and professionally. I was having a conversation with someone else about, you know, hindsight being 2020. Um, at nine years old, you don't realize what's happening in life. You are just following whoever your leaders are. You know, for me at nine, it was my parents. So when they said pack a bag, you know, we're going to America, I didn't know that meant, you know, a permanent move. Um, and when you hear gunshots, you know, I remember hearing gunshots closer toward our, to, to our move and not really knowing, but realizing there were more soldiers in our community. One of my classmates had died, um, had been hit by a stray bullet. But at nine, you know, you don't process the weight of those things. You don't connect the dots. Um, but then I remember coming to America and around 12, 13, realizing, wait, this is definitely a permanent move. Haven't seen cousins, nieces, you know, not nieces, um, aunts, um, other relatives in so many years. And then realizing I'm lucky right, is, is how I phrased it at the time. Well, what do I do with this luck? I begin to try to make an impact because I just, I don't know if it's the guilt of, you know, survivor's guilt, but I want to make an impact because I was one of the fortunate ones. So that's where Triple T Mad came, came about. And that laid the foundation for the rest of the, for the, the work that I'm doing now. Um, so at 18, when I started another community effort, it was based on this idea that if I'm lucky, how do I help other people who might be going through some dire situations as well? So it's framed my professional work um, as a human being outside of work. Um, compassion is a huge core value of mine, you know, because you, you don't know. You, we never know what people are going through. We don't know the circumstances that they're facing at home. Um, when I came to America, my family was facing a, like immense poverty because we were starting all over again. And so as an individual now making philanthropy and compassion a core value of mine, it's because of those things that I went through um, from you know, escaping civil war. You have accomplished a lot. You're doing so much good. What is your superpower? I'd say compassion. You know, I'd say compassion. I, I think it's lacking in the world. And I know it sounds so airy and, and flighty and <laughs> idealistic, but I think compassion is my superpower to be in front of a client that is a large client, you know, and still ask them the hard question of what is all your profit doing for the community? Like making compassion kind of this weaving thread in every conversation being able to talk to people one-on-one -on -one and asking people, 
you know, you've built this great, successful um, organization as a solopreneur, but what are you doing for others who want to get to where you are? I think compassion is, is my superpower. I think humanity needs it. And I try to be as intentional about it as possible. Yeah. Well, um, I think that's a, a really fundamental, powerful superpower. Um, as you think about your what you've accomplished over the last whatever, can you think of a specific accomplishment that you credit your compassion for helping you create? Yeah, I would say the Next Gen Scholarship Program, um, which is an initiative that Perk launched when we first started. And again, so much is rooted in my immigration story. So when I went to college, I was a first generation college uh, graduate. And I faced a lot of hardship because I was not a U.S. citizen. So I wasn't eligible for FAFSA and federal aid and things like that. So despite being a really hardworking student, it was a struggle just even trying to get through college. Um, so when I started Perk, I said that was one of the things we would be intentional about is just a portion of our, our revenue is going to go to a local student who was an international student, but who was extremely hardworking. So the Next Gen Scholarship Program was $1,000 that we gave to an international student who had, I think it was a 3.5 GPA Ohio when we started. Um, and I was very proud of that. You know, to some people, when we said $1,000, some people kind of thought, you know, well, what is $1,000 going to do? But then I remembered <laughs> when I was a student, $1,000 meant the world. You know, it meant yeah. books. <laughs> it might have oh, meant yeah. my meal plan. <laughs> And so I was extremely proud of that, extremely proud of that. Yeah. Well, uh, that is a great manifestation of your compassion. Um, I want you to just be thoughtful a minute. Uh, you developed your camp, camp compassion as a result of both a difficult family circumstance and a special opportunity that grew out of it. The, the, the challenge in the, the Civil War in Sierra Leone and coming to the United States, which you ultimately viewed as a good thing. Um, not everyone has that same framing, right? How would you coach someone to develop or strengthen compassion? I think all of us have some, right? Yeah. It, I think it's genetic, God-given, however you want to think about it, we all have some compassion. But for some, that's kind of an anemic, underused muscle. How do you, how do you build it? Yeah. Um, this might sound harsh, but I would say get out of your own bubble just long enough to see the reality of others. <laughs> um, you, yeah, I think, you know, when, when we get into business, I think we're trained to look at profit, 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 profit. That's our ultimate guide. Um, and what that does is it gives us tunnel vision so that we're only looking at performance and we're only looking at metrics. Um, and that spills over into other areas of our lives, right? So we're just outcome driven, just bottom line driven. But to the person who wants to train that muscle a little bit more, I would say expand your horizons and take a look at the reality of what other people are going through. And a lot of times we don't have to look far, 
right? So when we intentionally engage in conversations, authentic conversations with people, and we take a genuine interest in how their life is going, a team member, a volunteer, uh, someone that you might engage on a regular basis in the worship space or whatever in class, when we ask people stories, we begin to see that the world is a little bit bigger than us, right? And if you want to take it up even a, a notch higher, I would say go outside of the country, go outside of your city and engage with people because we're very fortunate and we're very wealthy in this country, in America especially. Um, but when we begin to see how other people are living, it's um, it's hard not to, to have, unless you have a heart of steel, <laughs> Like, it's hard not to feel compelled to, to to be honest about other circumstances. Right now, I live in Baltimore City. Um, Baltimore City is notorious because of the disenfranchisement of the people, right? So you can be on one street in Baltimore City, and there are well-maintained buildings, you know, nice-looking lawns, and you walk two blocks down, and you're seeing torn-down buildings, drug addicts. Um, but what happens is when we stay just in our part of the block, we forget that there are other areas, you know, in our city and in our lives where people need help. So if you are serious about, about again, training that, that compassion muscle, I would say get out of the bubble long enough to engage with others. Watch a TV show, you know, that's <laughs> about people from developing countries and just see, you know, where you can help and, and you know, where you're needed. Yeah. You know, I think part of compassion is empathy. Yeah. Uh, and it's really hard. Uh, you know, it's easy to say. Um, but, you know, I have friends who can sympathize mm. and who will join me in service projects for vulnerable communities and people in, in our community who are struggling. But I don't see them manifest sometimes empathy. Yeah, They don't understand. They don't feel what, uh, what the folks who are doing uh, feel, yeah. right? They just see, oh, it's too bad you're in this tough situation. Let me help you get out of it, which is better than nothing, right? It's, uh, but I wonder if you have any insights for developing empathy as a way to strengthen, and, and if you agree that empathy is part of good compassion. Yeah, I do agree. I do agree. I think for compassion to be authentic, you need empathy. But I will say I recently had an experience that um, was a sobering experience because it reminded me that not everyone needed to be empathetic to make a difference. Um, so I had an, an opportunity to partner with a nonprofit that was doing really good work in Africa. And their whole pitch to me was, listen, everyone doesn't care about Africa enough to come here and get their hands dirty. But what a lot of people have maybe are like discretionary income, discretionary, you know, monies that are, they're spending on Starbucks and things like that. If they're not empathetic enough to get their hands dirty, they can help those who are and they can support those who are. And that really kind of freed me um, and helped me to manage expectations so I don't put the pressure on everyone to be empathetic in the same way that you and I might be. 
Um, so to the people who feel like I just don't want to manufacture compassion, I don't want to manufacture empathy, it's okay. Um, think of another way that you can support the community. And perhaps sympathy just is enough. If your sympathy compels you to, to volunteer or to donate or to share on social media, those things matter as well. Um, so that's the first thing. For the person who says, yeah. I, I really do just want to be more compassionate and empathetic, again, I would say to them, talk to people who are on the ground. Make it a part to uh, make it a point to get out of your usual routine and the usual people that you talk to and start by volunteering. It doesn't take a lot of money. It's not going to take a lot of your time. Um, when I started Triple T Mad, we did maybe two hours of community service a month, once a month. That's not very demanding. But I truly believe that that work that we did, that I did at 15, has laid the foundation for more compassion and more empathy. So start small. If it's an hour or two a, a month, I think that's sufficient. And what you'll find is that the more you do, the more fulfilling it is. And then it becomes kind of this cycle of, well, I want to give more. I think for most of us, it's, it's that case. Yeah. Well, Andrina, it has been a joy to visit with you. And I'm grateful for all you've taught me. Uh, I have learned from you and I'm grateful for that. Uh, before we wrap up, would you take just a minute and tell people how they can learn more about Perk Consulting, and how they can connect with you uh, personally on social media or otherwise? Uh, just I want to make sure people know uh, how to get in touch and how to learn more. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Um, it's such a unique space to be able to talk about good <laughs> in corporate. So thank you for the opportunity. Um, for those who want to stay connected, a couple of ways. Uh, my uh, Our consulting practice website is perkconsulting.net. And there you can find our social links. You can find the Next Gen Scholarship and, and that information. If you'd like to just connect with me personally, my website is andrinasawyer.com. It's just my first and last name and my social links are there as well. And I'm on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Fantastic. Well, Andrina, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us. We wish you every success in your great work, helping people in so many different ways, especially in supporting the great nonprofits that you helped. So we, we, we want to see you uh, thrive and succeed. Thank you, Devin. All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers. Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.